Hey, greetings. Hey, as we're reading through the book of Acts, these stories of the very first followers of Jesus, we're discovering these important truths about what it means to become the church, God's people that will reflect him really well to the world around us. And here's what we've been discovering so far. We've seen that the church is to become a missionary community, an empowered community, a proclaiming community, a covenant community, and a miracle-working community. So if you've missed any of those, you can just jump right over to our website at sm4.org and uh, you're going to find those messages both in podcasts, you know, audio recordings, as well as uh, videos. Because we don't want you to miss out on this story uh, that we're all learning in together about what it means to become the church. Now today, we're right at the end of Acts chapter 4 and the start of chapter 5. And we're looking at the church as a generous community. Hey, but before you click off or, or you, you know, like, hey, hide your purse. Uh, you know, it's like, ah, the pastor is talking about money. Here's what, what I want you to be assured about. If you hang out with me to the end of this message, I'm going to show you from scripture why it's so important for you to understand that your money is your money. Uh, but hopefully you're going to also grow in your faith and see the importance of generosity, not only in the life of the church, but in your life and my life personally as well. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32, and this is what we read. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, so they shared everything they had. I, wow, what an amazing statement. Now, listen, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about koinonia, being devoted not just to God, but to each other. And this is what it looks like when that koinonia fellowship is going on. They shared everything with each other. Now, we pick up again a couple verses later and it says this. It says, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the, uh, uh, the one that the apostles nicknamed Barnabas which means son of encouragement. Now, he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So what I want to do is I want to just look at this passage for a moment and I want to give you three important takeaways about generosity from this passage. Then we're going to look right at the beginning of chapter 5, like what comes right after, and we're going to see two things that can go terribly wrong with generosity. So, but first, uh, let's, let's look right here. And uh, the very first thing that we see is that generosity flows out of unity. Now, we read all the believers were united in heart and mind. Now, when we recognize that our lives and stories, yours and mine, 
are all interconnected. I mean, that's where generosity will flow. When our hearts are linked together and we're united together in mission. Listen, generosity is just a, is a natural result. It's a, it's a byproduct of us really um, walking in and living in unity together. But generosity grinds to a halt if I view my life as separate and independent from yours. Because then everything is really just becomes a competition for resource, right? There's a limited amount. We view things as limited and it's me against you. And so I'm going to get all I can and keep all I can. And, you know, it's no wonder that that would cause uh, generosity to just grind to a halt. Now, some may wonder, and I remember when I was younger, like asking this question of myself. So was them walking in unity and just sharing everything, was this like some early form of communism? I mean, listen, you know, it's like unity and this radical sharing, you know, could this be, uh, you know, some early form of communism? And here's what I want to tell you. Absolutely not. This was that spirit-formed koinonia, this amazing community where people were not just devoted to God, but they were devoted to each other. Bible scholar William Lesore, he put it this way. He said, communism says, what is yours is mine. I'll take it. But koinonia says, what is mine is yours. I'll share it. And those are two very, very different things. Now, I think for me, I mean, this reminded me, and maybe you as well, of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talked about the church being like a human body, where all the parts are essential and are completely linked together. Now, this is where he says, like, the eye doesn't say to the hand, I don't need you. I have no need of you. It's just the opposite. He says that all the parts need each other. I need you and you need me. And Paul finishes this thought about, about the church being like a body with this idea that he gives in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 12. It's where he says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Now, it's this kind of unity that prompts us to say, of course I wanna be generous because others are hurting, so I'm going to bring help. So first truth is that generosity flows out of this deep koinonia sense of unity that we have together as the church. Now the second truth we hear echoed through this passage is that generosity flows when we trust that God is our provider. See, this is that faith-filled understanding that everything I have has been given to me by God. John the Baptist put it this way. It's, this is found in John 3.27. And it's where he says, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Now, God does use others to channel resource our way right? Like our employers, our families, our friends. 
But it's when you realize that God is truly your provider, that's when you'll begin to realize that you can share with fearless generosity. And that's exactly what was going on here in Acts chapter 4, because it says that the believers shared everything that they had. Everything. You know, when we talk about generosity, often we talk about time, talent, and treasure. It's like it kind of represents everything of who and what we are. And it says that they shared everything that they had. There was this fearless generosity. That kind of giving will only flow when we trust that God knows what I need and that he has promised to take care of me and care for all of my needs. It was Jesus who spoke these words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. And I love this from the Passion Translation. Jesus said, so then, forsake your worries. And he's like, give them up. Uh, Pay no attention to them. Forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know the things your bodies require? So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. That's what we need to be chasing after. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Now there's the promise And when we understand that God says that, man, when we chase after him, he knows what we need and he's going to give to us what we need abundantly, then we can become fearlessly generous people, just like these believers in Acts chapter 4. Now, here's a third truth that we see in this story. Generosity is always present in the lives of spiritual leaders. I want to say that again. Generosity is always alive. It's always present in the lives of spiritual leaders, at least good ones. And we're given an illustration of this right here from the life of a man named Barnabas. It said that he sold some property and then he took the money and brought it to the leaders of the church. And this was, of course, to help those who were in need. Now listen, I don't know if you recognize the name Barnabas, but he was a major player in the early church. In fact, he's mentioned 40 times throughout the New Testament. And he was instrumental in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. I mean, he oftentimes, it says, Paul and Barnabas went here or went there. But, but Barnabas was much more than just Paul's sidekick. In fact, it was in Acts chapter 11, there's this story that the gospel is, is starting to just break out and make inroads in the city of Antioch. And so the church in Jerusalem says, man, who can we send to, to Antioch to help these brand new believers there? And guess who they sent? They sent Barnabas. And it's right here when, when Barnabas goes to Antioch and this is captured in uh, Acts 11.24 that this is what is said about this man of God. It says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Now listen, 
I mean, if you want to be a spiritual leader, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that these are the very things that you would want to be said about you? It says he was a good human being. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was strong in faith. And not only that, but it says that he brought many people to Jesus. I mean, like in our church, I mean, this is like Ron Cockrell status, right? Papa Ron. Or, or this is being right up there with Debbie Jordan or Hector Perales or Pat Morales. Listen, Barnabas was the real deal. He was the kind of spiritual leader that you'd want to follow. But it's this story right here in Acts chapter 4, this beautiful, this powerful story of radical generosity that's the first time that we ever hear of this great spiritual leader. I mean, you know, I'm not sure, but he, he may not have been a great spiritual leader at that time. But what he was doing was he was saying, you know what, what I have, I'm going to give over to the Lord to be a blessing to others. See, what, we're, what we discover is that uh, before uh, Barnabas was ever sent out to do any great spiritual work, guess what? He was beautifully and powerfully generous. Now, what we can't say is that all generous people will become great spiritual leaders. But what is certain is that no one becomes a great spiritual leader without being generous. Generosity represents a person's heart like few other things. In fact, I think uh, about how generosity is represented in the four things that were described of Barnabas in Acts chapter 11. I mean, it says he was a good man. See, generosity to describe someone, uh, you know, someone who cares deeply about others and, and is not only cares, but is deeply determined to do something about their needs. It also says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So rather than being self-absorbed or being selfish, I mean, he was saturated with the life of Jesus. And you know, Jesus is the one who lived generously in everything he did in order to serve others. And it says, the third thing, it says that he was a man of faith. So he trusted in God to be his provider. And that faith empowered him to be a generous contributor to others. And then finally, it says that he led many people to Jesus. See, he realized the connection between financial contribution and other people coming to faith. He knew that a person's physical needs, if they're not met, it probably isn't going to be very likely that they would be ready to hear about Jesus. In fact, even when you think about the ministry of Jesus, how many times did he feed people or heal people, just care for their physical and practical needs before he shared the good news with them? And guess what? Barnabas understood that. All four of these traits, I believe, are essential for great spiritual leaders. And they're wrapped up in the, the spirit and in the act of generosity. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to become a spiritual leader, be generous because it is tied to all the traits that we need to see in spiritual leaders. 
I hope you can see those in my life and I want to see them grow in your life as well. So generosity flows from unity. It happens when we know that God, uh, God alone is our provider and generosity is present in the lives of spiritual leaders. Those are important truths about generosity. But when we look at the very next story in Acts, something goes terribly wrong with generosity. So we're flipping over to Acts chapter 5, and here are the first five verses of Acts 5. It says, But there was a certain man named Ananias, who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. Now, does this sound familiar? I mean, this is exactly what we read that Barnabas did. So Ananias and Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And even after you sold it, you could have used the money any way you wanted. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Now, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And if you were to just to keep reading in the following verses, you find that his wife, Sapphira, kept up this lie and she died as well. Yikes! Uh, this was big problems there for the early church and it's surrounding this, this uh, idea of generosity. So what were the two big things that Ananias and Sapphira got wrong here? First, they lied, right? I mean, obviously, that, that's a problem. This husband and wife conspired together to put on a show. They were posers, right? They were posing as people like Barnabas. See, they wanted to be recognized as good people, people who are strong in their faith. They wanted to be recognized as leaders in the church, but they went about it all wrong. And here's, the, here's something interesting. The story doesn't even say. Peter never said that they, they were greedy of holding back any of the money. I mean, maybe they needed some of the money from the sale of that property. I mean, think about it. If they, if they had sold the property and given half of the money to the church or any of it, 5%, 10%, 20%, wouldn't that have been incredibly generous? Of course. See, their sin was not in holding back part of the sale price of the land that they sold. Their sin was in saying one thing, but doing another. Have you ever been there? We all have. Right? Acting more spiritual than we are. You know, pretending to be something that we're really not. I mean, I think what's amazing is that we all don't just keel over under the weight of our hypocrisy. We've all been there. But Peter tells um, Ananias, he says, you weren't lying to us, but to God. Now listen, remember, when, when, whenever I lie to God, it's not God who's being deceived. It's me. Because God knows 
everything and he sees right through our little charades. So whenever I find myself lying to God, I need to remember I'm dealing with self-deception here. Because God, God sees right through my lie. So really, anytime I try to tell a lie to God, what's happening is, is that I'm being self-deceived. Self-deception. This self-deception started right at the very beginning of humanity with the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. And it's where God confronts Adam. And, he, and it's like, Adam, what did you do? What does he do? He, he, he points over at Eve. Says it was her, right? Self-deception, Adam. But then what does Eve do? She points at the serpent. Wow, Eve, more self-deception. I believe that if the serpent would have had hands, it would have pointed right back at God and said, it's your fault. You made me this way. Self-deception. And that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira were, were uh, experiencing right here. They were lying to themselves. I mean, what, you know, what, what were they thinking? Well, God won't know. Well, maybe he'll know, but, but he won't care. All we're doing is a little self-promotion while we're taking care of ourselves, right? It's a win-win. Uh, and this isn't going to hurt anyone. It's a victimless sin, right? Self-deception. Because they were wrong. There's no such thing as a victimless sin. Someone always pays a heavy price. Sometimes it's the person we're sinning against. Sometimes the victim is, well, it's us ourselves when we sin. But the victim here was the church. This couple was poisoning the community of believers who had devoted themselves to God and to each other, right? Ananias and Sapphira conspired to defile the spirit of koinonia within the church. This couple was willing to jeopardize it all because of, of prideful self-promotion, wanting to make themselves look good in front of the church and, and the leaders there. They wanted to look like Barnabas. Now listen, we need to take a lesson here so that we don't walk in self-deception and sin. I mean, I think, man, the, pri the, the, the cry, the prayer of my heart, and hopefully yours as well, is God, may I walk in truth about who I am. God, and I, rep I, I repent for every time that I pose to be someone or something that I'm not and misrepresenting myself to you and to others. So first thing that they got wrong is that they lied. They walked in self-deception and, and it included this um, area of generosity. Now here's the other thing, the second thing that Ananias and Sapphira got wrong. And I think this may be the most important uh, part of this message. And I want you to, to think deeply with me about this because what they got wrong is about generosity itself. Now, did you catch what Peter told Ananias? And this is super important. It's in uh, verse four of, of Acts five. And Peter says, the property, right? Your property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And even after you sold it, you could have used the money 
any way you wanted. Another Bible translation puts it this way about the money. It asks, was it not under your control? So here's what Peter was saying. Your resource is fully under your control. Every penny God gives you is yours. You get to decide what you're going to do with it. Because this is way more just than about um, Ananias and Sapphira and their property and their money. This is a lesson for each one of us. Your resource is under your control. In other words, I mean, this is the way I think about it. You cannot be generous with something that isn't yours. I mean, I can't be generous with your money. You can't come and take my money and say that you're being generous with it. You can only be generous with something that's yours, right? I can only be generous with what's mine. It's the same for you. And so Peter is saying here that this property and the money you received from its sale, Ananias, was all yours, completely under your control. Notice he didn't say, now after you sold it, 10% belonged to God and the rest was yours. No, he says all of it was yours to do with as you pleased. Now, we've, we've done a whole series. I did a whole series last fall called Resurrecting Generosity, where we go deeply into these topics and including um, about the tithe and are we obligated to bring that. And uh, you can find that right on our website. You could just search on generosity and you're going to find that series from last fall. But uh, pay particular attention to, to the seventh message in that eight-part series about a resurrecting generosity. Because I address this idea of the tithe and does 10%, am I obligated to bring that to the Lord? And, and you may be surprised with what I found in scripture, but we go deeply into it there. Don't have time right now. But I believe that what Peter is saying right here is, is exactly what I see in the rest of the New Testament. And that's that all resource that God brings to you is fully, 100%, yours. It is in your control. You can do with it as you please. Now, to catch the real importance of this and to understand why Ananias and Sapphira got it so wrong, we need to go back to the, to the start of this story and the description of the generosity that was flowing in the, the early church. Because it said this uh, in, in uh, Acts 4.32, it says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Now, I'm going to reread that kind of slowly and catch the, catch the depth of this here. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. So they shared everything they had. Did you catch that? We're talking about their possessions, things that were totally under their control. But what it says is that they didn't claim their possessions as their own. And this isn't just like a, a little turn, turn of a phrase here. This is really, really important. Now, what does it sound like when people lay claim to their money or their stuff? 
I think it sounds like the seagulls in the movie Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. These are my things. And that's how so many people live. Any, even people of God, people of faith. And it's so unfortunate that, uh, that we slip into that. Because God provides things for us. But rather than sometimes living in thankful generosity, we lay claim to what God has provided. This is my car. Oh, this is my house. These are my kids. This is my bank account. But here's the problem. And I say this with, with great respect and, and, uh, and kindness. But whenever we lay claim to our possessions, generosity stops in its track. Generosity flows when we use our authority over things, things that I'm in control of, and say, God, I don't lay claim to this. I give it all back to you. Now, listen, I mean, this, is, this isn't just about our money and our stuff. This is about how we're to live our lives as believers in, in God and followers of Jesus. It's where we come to that place of saying, God, my entire life is yours. I don't lay claim to any part of it. I surrender all of who I am to you. And when we come to that place of full surrender, guess what happens? Generosity flows naturally because we, we come to an understanding that, God, you gave me this car, but it's yours. I give it back to you. I surrender this car over to you. This is your house, Lord. You provided me a place to live, but this is your house meant for your kingdom and, and for your use. Lord, these kids that are in, under my roof, guess what? You blessed me with them, but I'm giving them to you. These are your kids. And God, this bank account that uh, I try to fill up and, and thank you for being my provider, but this isn't, Lord, my bank account anymore. I surrender it over to you. And because I've released my claim over these things and given them all back to you, I'll now do with them whatever you want. You speak the word and I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do to ensure that you receive glory through these things. So as I mentioned, you can go back to uh, the series, uh, Resurrecting Generosity. But what you're going to find there is that in that series, we used this image, little graphic, um, right on the kind of the introductory logo of the series. And it's, it's an image of an open hand. And it's meant, of course, to depict generosity. Hands that are both open to receive and to give, right? Because you can't be generous with what isn't yours. So we receive from God's generosity to us so that we can give generously as well. And in that series, we talked extensively about this biblical pattern of generosity that goes all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis, where God blessed humanity and he gave them these simple instructions. Four words. He said, it says that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful 
and multiply. And when God gave those words of instruction, he wasn't stuttering when he said that. Fruitfulness and multiplication are not the same thing. Being fruitful has to do with receiving from God or reaping, but multiplication always requires giving something away or sowing, right? The scripture says that God gives seed to the farmer. That's awesome, man. That's being fruitful. But the wise farmer doesn't hold on to that seed or lay claim to it. Look at my big barn full of seed. I mean, what, what farmer is proud of that? No, they want that seed multiplied. And so the farmer knows if that, that seed is going to, to multiply into a harvest, uh, guess what? Uh, and if it's going to be anything more than just a big old stack of seed, it has to be given away. It has to be sown. Guess what? When it is sown, it creates a, a whole new harvest more reaping. And that's the law of generosity, sowing and reaping, being fruitful and multiplying out of that fruitfulness. And here's the truth. I'm responsible for multiplying. God is responsible for my fruitfulness. I'm responsible to sow. God is responsible for my reaping. I can't make reaping happen. Happen. I can't. I can't make. Uh, I can't make that make it happen. That's up to the Lord. But what I can make happen is I can choose to be someone who sows. I can choose to be someone who multiplies. It's exactly what Barnabas did, and it's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira got wrong when they were posing as, as people who were that generous and that strong in their faith, but, but they weren't. But friends, you and I, we could be a lot more like Barnabas than Ananias and Sapphira. I think anybody who reads that story says, yeah, that's, that's what I want uh, to be like. But it takes people who are willing to be generous. It's, and as long as, as I claim things as my own, guess what? I'm never going to be generous with them. But we can, as a church, say, Lord, everything that you give to us, it's yours. Everything that I have and everything that we have collectively as a church family, God, this is for your use. This is, this is for you to bring glory to you and to help us be people who move on mission. Listen, I want to pray for you and I'm going to pray for myself as well. And I'm going to do something here that, that oftentimes we, we talk about when we are even receiving offerings as a church family, like when we're meeting all together, is sometimes we'll just say, hey, hey, take, take out your wallet and hold it. Or, or take out your gift and, and, and hold it as we, as we pray. Because we need to take it. And, and I believe it's really important that we, we do that because it's representing the reality that, that this is mine. That I'm in control of this. Remember, I cannot be generous with something that, that I don't own. I have, to, I have to take it and say, Lord, th this is mine. But now I am surrendering it to you. And I just wonder, is there something that you're holding on to 
that God has maybe been speaking to you about, about just surrendering to him. Now, I know a lot of people, they, they can live in fear that, man, if I surrender things to God, he's going to take them from me. But see, but the way that God operates is that when we surrender ourselves to him, he doesn't take us to manipulate us or to hurt us. Man, he takes us to, to redeem, to, to restore, to heal, and then to multiply the things in our lives that we've always dreamed of and wanted. And guess what? It's the same things, it's the same thing, the same reality with our stuff, whether it's our money, our home, our kids, our, our bank accounts, whatever. So grab something that, that you need to surrender to the Lord, right? I'm, I'm holding just a little bit of money here as a representation of that. Maybe you need to grab your kids and put them on your lap. But would you pray along with me and let's surrender our lives and all the things that God has blessed us with back over to him. Jesus, we want to be generous people. God, we want to be generous because you were generous. For God so loved the world that he gave. Lord, everything about you is marked with this radical and beautiful generosity. And we want to be like you. We want to be generous people and we want to become a radically generous church to be a blessing to the lives of so many in our community and beyond. And so, Lord, we take these things that we've been holding on to and we say, God, I realize that they came from you. And Lord, now I surrender them back to you, Lord, so that I can learn to be generous Lord, I want to multiply these things, believing that you're going to cause me to be fruitful. Lord, I'm going to sow them, Lord, so that I can also understand the blessing of reaping. So Lord, show us anything that we've been holding on to, anything at all that we have not surrendered to you, including our very lives. And, and so I, I just want to ask you just for a moment that, that if you are someone who's just held on to your life and you've just held on to and, and not surrendered yourself to Jesus, friends, I want to tell you, you can trust him. His promise is real. His promise is good. And his promise is for you. You can trust him with your heart. You can trust him with your life. He is not going to embarrass you and he is certainly not going to shame you or cause grief to come into your life. What he is going to do is he's going to bring redemption and healing and blessing. So any of you that need to say, God, I surrender my whole life to you, would you do that right now? Just join me and maybe you can even repeat these words after me if, if you're not quite sure how to pray, pray your, uh, yourself. You can just say, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me. Lord, thank you for going to the cross. Lord, that I can have complete forgiveness of all my sin, every wrong thing that I've ever done. And so now, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, everything, the good and the bad. Lord, I repent, Lord, of, of the sin in my life. I turn from it. I don't want it anymore. I give it to you. And Lord, because of what you did on the cross, I trust 
that you will bring full cleansing and redemption. You're going to wash me clean so that I can walk in full relationship with you. God, I give you myself and, and all that I am. I am yours. Amen. Amen. Hey, being generous is one of the most incredible things that you can do. And like I said, it represents so much of our hearts and our lives and our faith and, and our community, this koinonia community that we get to walk in together as a church. So continue to walk in generosity. And, and speaking of that, I, I, again, just want to thank you for all of those who have been generous to the Santa Maria Foursquare Church during these, during these last seasons. And I hope you're being generous elsewhere also. But thank you for being generous here. And, and if you want to start being generous here, I promise you, we're going to make really, really good use of every penny that, that comes into our church. Man, we've been using it to bless others in the community. We've been, we've been doing things like even creating some video type resources. We've been investing, as I've mentioned before, into a system that, that gets installed at our church this coming week so that we're going to be able to, to go to live streaming our services not just for uh, right now during this COVID pandemic, but we want to do this perpetually. And so thank you for giving because your giving is allowing the message to be preached, right? That reality that Barnabas discovered that, that his gifts were actually helping people come to the Lord. And it's the same uh, for every gift that you give. So how do, you give, how do you give? Well, a couple of ways. You can go right onto our church website, sm4.org, and go to the giving page. It's kind of slash giving. And right there is all the instruction that you'll need. Or if you've got your cell phone, uh, smart device right there with you, you can just text SM4, just SM, the, the number 4, to 77977. SM4. To 77977. Little dialogue box is gonna pop up and it's gonna walk you through the easy steps of how you can begin giving to the Santa Maria Foursquare Church, being generous people, people of faith. Thank you for doing that. Hey, and last week we, we made the big announcement, the grand announcement that we were gonna reopen on August 16th. And of course, right after we made that announcement last Sunday, um, on Monday, our governor said, hey, all bets are off. Uh, churches in uh, compromised counties are, are to be closed for indoor gatherings um, at this, at this uh, time for this season. So we're going to keep you posted. We've still got a bookmark on um, August 16th. Potentially, that could still happen. Pray that it does. Hey, but if it doesn't, we're fine. We're good because we are on mission. Um, we're going to continue our online ministry. And like I said, we're even going to go to live streaming right from our sanctuary just as soon as we can. And so we'll continue to bring you updates. But church family, you are loved. Go be generous. Have a great week.